Happy New Year. Welcome to the first days of what could be your best year ever in your pursuit of God. This is the time to set your mind on things above, to focus your heart on deepening your spiritual rhythms. You know you want to. That's why you're here after all. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the pastoral team here at Dayspring. Our team is standing by, waiting to help you discover the best path forward to deepening your spiritual roots. Whether you are here in the room or watching online, live or on demand at some point in the future. If you are visiting today, we want you to know that this is the kind of family that will enthusiastically welcome you as you are, with all of your questions and doubts, with all of your struggles and brokenness. Here, you can discover Jesus, find healing, and a community who will love you enough to spur you on to emotionally and spiritually healthy living. That's the journey we're on, too. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find study questions by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. Dayspringers, welcome! Glad to see those of you in the room. You, you look great today. Glad to be seen from, for those of you online. I am just plain glad to be together in whatever way possible. I'm Michelle Snook, pastor of Community Life here at Dayspring Fellowship. Um, some of you know of me. Uh, you have seen me before. Some of you know me really well. And some of you are seeing me for the first time today. And those of you who know me well um, will have a little bit of an advantage in what we're going to do next. This section cannot participate in the front row. <laughs> You'll give it away for everyone else. So um, have, you ever, have you ever played the game Two Truths and a Lie? Okay, so here's, here's how it's going to work. I'm going to make three statements about myself. Two of them are going to be truths, and one of them is going to be a lie. And you are going to guess which of those statements in a lie, is, is a lie. So those of you in the room, you're going to participate by raising your hand. I mean, don't be afraid. This is church. It's okay to raise your hands in church. Although it's probably be better to raise them to the Lord than it is to raise them to me. But... Those of you online, you can post your guests in the chat feature of the platform that you're using. So I'm going to say three statements, and then you are going to let me know which one is a lie. All right. You ready? Okay. Don't do it yet. You're, you're going to raise your hand if you think that this is a lie. All right. I love roller coasters. The bigger, the better. Okay. Um, I received an award for saving someone's life. Seriously? Just for those of you online, there's not a raised hand in the room. I have taught Zumba classes in four different countries. Some of you are not raising your hand. All right. Okay. Now you get to tell me one more time, which one? Raise your hand if you think number one is false. Ooh, okay. 
Uh, raise your hand if you think number two is false. Okay. How about number three? Wow. I, I have to say I'm kind of surprised, just, just a little bit. Um, so we're going to start with number three. Um, yes, I have, in fact, taught Zumba in four countries. Uh, United States, Mexico, the Dominican Republic, and Jamaica. Okay, number two. I have received the Gerald M. Frank Meritorious Service Award for heroism, saving the life of another during my time as a firefighter paramedic. Unfortunately, it did not include dessert from, the, from Jerry's award-winning Conditorei restaurant. <laughs> and last, but certainly, certainly not least, the truth is I hate roller coasters. I mean, I don't know if I'm supposed to say hate, you know, that word in church, but I do seriously hate roller coasters. I mean, I'll do Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, I love that, and Space Mountain, but rock and roller coaster or those crazy ones at Bush Gardens that my husband Tony and Chris love to ride, no way. Not for a million dollars. We have been talking about lies and truth for several weeks now in our series, Lies We Believe and the Truth That Sets Us Free. We have looked at the lies that we believe about ourselves and others, about life and about God. And last week, Chris talked about lies that men believe. And we saw that even though those lies were particularly significant for men, they definitely applied to women as well. So if you're joining us for the first time today, I encourage you to go back and watch the entire series online. I think you will find yourself somewhere in each message. So today, I'm going to finish our series with a look at four lies that women in particular are prone to believe. And just as there was something for the women uh, in, as we unpack the lies that men believe last week, there is something for the men this week also. So no checking out, guys. No checking out. You, you may experience some version of these lies yourself, or maybe you'll be able to see how men may have played a role in shaping or reinforcing the lies that women believe about themselves. And that will help you help us replace those lies with truth. Now, the lies that we have covered the last few weeks have, have been very specific. The thing with lies, though, is that even though they are about one thing, they weave their way into every aspect of our lives. And it starts in one area, and it just kind of finds its way to virtually every area of our lives. And if we don't deal with it, those lives weave their way through our thoughts, through our attitudes, how we relate to others and ourselves, and most importantly, how we think about God. And we know that the most important thing about us is what we think about God. Here at Dayspring, we care about our spiritual health and dispelling the lies that the enemy really enjoys to distract and destroy us. The thing about the lies we believe in our mind is that they become a pathway ingrained in our brain, 
a pathway that is carved out over time like a trail in the woods. And we need to let those false, false pathways grow over and close. We need to carve out new pathways of truth that we can be renewing our minds day by day. Truth comes from the Lord, and it's, it's written in Scripture, which, of course, is why studying the Scripture is so important. Chris Thurman wrote, we, regularly, we have to regularly study the Bible to give the Holy Spirit something to work with in his efforts to renew our minds. So today, we're going to talk about four lies two truths, and then we'll wrap up with some encouragement to stay the course in renewing your mind by carving out new pathways of truth. Not only do the lies we believe give us a false sense of reality, they cause a lot of stress in our body as well as our thought life. So since I'm into physical health and how the body and mind work together with the Holy Spirit, let's do a little physical prep before we dive in. Humor me. This is only going to take a minute. All right, so sit tall. Sit tall. And I want you to think about the crown of your head reaching for the ceiling. Roll your shoulders back. Let them settle. Pull your belly button towards your spine. Close your eyes. Inhale slowly and deeply. And then exhale slower than you inhale. Two more breaths like that. Inhale. Exhale slower. One more. Inhale. And exhale. Okay, open your eyes and let's begin. Now, side note, when you take a nice slow breath in and then exhale slower than you inhale, your brain sends signals to your body that it can relax. That the tension or the threat, whatever it might be, is no longer present. So if at any time you feel the stress of the lies creeping in, just take a long, slow inhale and even slower exhale while you focus on the truth. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, help our minds to be clear, open, and ready for your truth. Help us to see the tangled web of the lies we've grown up with and help us to take the next step in unraveling those knots and dispelling those untruths. God, have your truth permeate our thoughts that we may become more like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So in John 10.10, our enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That, that's his goal. And in John 10.10, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his purpose. So if I were your enemy, I would confuse you into believing that it's your job to make everyone happy. That's lie number one. 
It's my job to make everyone happy. I mean, let's face it, we like the people around us to be happy, to feel good, which on the surface seems like a good thing. We think that it's our job to make everyone in our lives happy, our friends, our coworkers, family members, parents, children, husband, you name it. It's my job to make sure that they are happy. However, while we are busy making everyone happy, we can be, become distracted from faith. We can get distracted from pressing into Jesus and allowing him to do his work. I mean, when you really think about it, it kind of sounds like a God complex. I mean, if I actually had that kind of power to make everyone happy, I would really be something. We have already covered the fact that every person is responsible for their own happiness earlier in this series. I'm not responsible for yours. You are not responsible for mine. Now, when mothers or parents in general are more worried about their kids' happiness than anything else, you know, that's when everyone gets a trophy. Because we wouldn't want the kids to experience any pain or discomfort because they didn't get a prize. And I'm sorry to say, but this just raises up children who are not adequately prepared to go out into the world. A world that doesn't care if they're happy or not. And then they're not prepared to deal with the reality that they will experience disappointment and hurt feelings. The job of a parent is to teach them how to feel and express those feelings appropriately. And more importantly, when we, where we get our true peace and our true comfort from. Our kids need to learn that real peace, comfort, and joy come only from Jesus, not from mom or dad. We've got to step off this pedestal and give Jesus his place. I mean, sure, we can give some comfort, but the true comfort comes from only one place. 2 Corinthians 1 3 says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. The Lord is our only true comfort. And if we're always making our children happy, they will not learn how to turn to truth instead of mom or dad. I mean, sure, we feel great when our children need us. But it feels so much better for them to need Jesus more. Husbands are another danger zone in the keep them happy category. I mean, the house has to be just right. The meals have to be just right. The sex has to be just right. And if not, I won't be doing my job keeping them happy. Again, true fulfillment in all areas of life comes through Christ, not through another individual. A healthy relationship is about honoring one another and serving one another out of love, not out of a twisted idea that I'm not good enough wife, I'm not a good enough wife, a good enough mother, friend, whatever, if someone isn't happy. That's the enemy talking. And I have to tell you that just a couple of weeks ago, this little happiness thing, got, it got me. I mean, Tony and I were packing for vacation, and he suggested packing something, you know, a spe specific way when I'd already 
figured out in my mind how I wanted to do it. And, you know, it wasn't a deal, and he certainly didn't care either way, but I found myself automatically acquiescing to his way. And I had to think about it for a minute. Was, was I trying to make him happy, or did I really not care? I mean, it turns out I really didn't care, um, but it did remind me how automatic my response can be. Clearly, something that I still need to work on. And I, I'm so glad that Tony is a healthy man whose goal in life is to be more like Jesus every day, and I'm thankful that we can have healthy conversations when I feel safe as if I'm giving in to something that is important to me. I mean, he definitely takes responsibility for his own happiness, but sometimes I slip into that old pattern of trying to make sure that he's happy, even at my own expense. Another way of making sure that everyone is happy is having to fix things for other people. Guilty. I mean, I'm a problem solver by nature. I've always had a job where I had to solve problems. Uh, in some instances, it was literally life or death decisions. My entire childhood was navigating problems. So I'm pretty good at problem solving most of the time. The thing is, not every problem is mine to solve. I mean, there's an old Polish, Polish proverb, not my circus, not my monkey. And it basically means it's not my job to fix it. I mean, I think of it as staying in my lane. It's easy to get into someone else's lane and try and solve their problems. The problem is, again, we think we're getting into a person's lane to help them straighten something out, when in fact, we're getting in God's lane and trying to take over his job. This applies to women and to men as well. Guys, you know, you love to fix problems. But remember, it's more often about listening and hearing and really understanding than it is about fixing it. My most important job, which Jesus affirmed in Luke 10, 27, is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as myself. That's my job. That's your job. It is not our job to keep anyone happy. It is each individual person's job to get close to Jesus, to get spiritually healthy and figure it out. The same is true if your happiness relies on someone else. That means you have work to do. Lie number two. It's not okay to speak my mind. If I were your enemy, I would make you believe that your thoughts and your feelings don't matter. Therefore, just put your big girl panties on and keep them to yourself. The history of how women throughout the centuries has been devalued and mistreated is definitely fuel for this lie. We were told to keep quiet or insulted for our thoughts and ideas and told we were weak and annoying for expressing our feelings or for even having any. Archie Bunker comes to mind. 
Some of you are too young to remember the 1970s sitcom, All in the Family. Um, you know, I didn't find it funny then, and I don't find it funny now. Archie's the head of a household who regularly called his wife a dingbat, and he told her to stifle herself, and her character was depicted as an unintelligent female who was overly emotional. I, seriously, I thank God that I was born in the time that I was. If I had been born in an earlier century or even just 20 years earlier, I would have gotten myself into a lot of trouble with my willingness to verbally express myself. <laughs> I mean, I, sh I should probably confess that I have gotten myself in a fair amount of trouble expressing myself. <laughs> I know, you're surprised. <laughs> but it wasn't because I expressed myself, it was how I expressed myself. And as most of you know, uh, as most of you know, I'm fairly, well, to the point. I'm not great at shallow conversations. I kind of just dive right in, and especially if I'm in a hurry, I'm usually blunt, to the point, and I, I don't waste time with the fluff. I, I just like to lay it all out on the table, sort it out, and let's get on with it. We do have the right, and we have the responsibility to express ourselves in order to be healthy. However, if we want to have a healthy impact through our words, we must look at God's word for some instruction. Let's look at Ecclesiastes 12, 11. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick which a shepherd drives the sheep. We must be wise with our words. Sometimes expressing ourselves can be painful but helpful. Our words can help guide someone down a right or better path. And this passage reminds us that wise words are like a shepherd guiding sheep in the right direction. Now, before you pump your fist in the air and say, yeah, what she said, let's look at Proverbs. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 24, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. This is speaking to the way that we express ourselves, the way that we express ourselves. Difficult conversations can be done kindly. Please speak up wisely, kindly, and confidently. Don't let shame or someone else's opinion keep you from speaking out, but use wisdom and kind words to do so. Gentlemen, a quote from Chris Thurman. If you are a healthy man, you want every woman you interact with to be fully voiced and express what she thinks and feels. You want her to draw boundaries when your behavior's out of line and demand that she gets a fair shake in life. Guys, it is so easy just to check out of the conversation because you don't like the tone of her voice. Stay engaged. Engage with her heart, not so much with her tone. Be good listeners, even if she messes up on the delivery. I mean, I remember one time when I was expressing myself regarding how I felt and how I was being treated, and the delivery left much to be desired. And Tony, 
a man of few words quietly took out a notepad and began to write stuff down. He'd never done this before, and I wasn't sure if I was insecure about this action or confused or both. So I asked him what he was doing. I'm sure I asked him real nice-like. <laughs> and he said calmly, which probably agitated me even more, <laughs> that we had had this conversation before. And he explained that it was clear that he missed something, so he wanted to write it down so we could thoroughly unpack it and handle it. He was serious. He wanted to solve the problem. Wow. I love that guy. And he's hot, but whatever. <laughs> I really felt heard, um, although I wasn't quite ready not to be mad anymore. <laughs> Do I have to say that? But suppression of feelings is even more prevalent than expressing your thoughts. And as Chris talked about last week, suppressing our feelings is common in both men and women. Although it may manifest differently, the message is don't be weak, don't be vulnerable. Don't allow someone else to see who you really are inside. Show your strength even if it's killing you. And remember that it's in our weakness that God does his best work. When Paul asked God to take away the thorn in his side, so to speak, the reply in Corinthians 12:9 was, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so the power of Christ can work through me. I mean, what if we were to embrace our weakness instead of trying to muscle our way through it? I mean, let's give ourselves some grace and embrace our weakness so that God can work with and through it. Lie number three. This one might sting a little bit, but bear with me. I am facing my flaws. As we talked about earlier, we can tend to be fixers, and we can sometimes focus on fixing others so much that we neglect the areas of our own lives that we need to work on. I have seen both men and women be so focused on the other person's flaws, ignoring their responsibility in the relationship, that the relationship not only suffers, but is destroyed. All of us should be wrestling with the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 3 through 5. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. All of us tend to focus on the other person and what they are doing wrong instead of asking ourselves, how am I contributing to the problem? What is the spiritually healthy thing for me to do here? One of the things that I really appreciate about our pastoral staff is we have the kind of relationship where we can actually bring up and discuss our flaws, even the ones that we don't recognize. 
We're willing to hear from each other when someone recognizes that something is amiss. We're committed to be willing to hear what our flaws are and take the necessary steps to grow. Iron sharpening iron. It isn't easy, and it stings at first, but so, so worth it. Take some time in prayer this week regarding this particular subject. It's easy to allow shame or hurt cover up what Jesus is trying to work out in our lives. It doesn't feel good to recognize our flaws, but it's necessary if we're committed to becoming more like Jesus. Lie number four it comes in a variety of flavors, probably the most common as well as the most damaging lie. I am not enough. If I were your enemy, I would attack your identity. I would tell you that you're not worthy of being loved for who you are. I would tell you that you are not smart enough, pretty enough, strong enough, in shape enough, worth enough to be truly loved. That you must be better at, stronger at, more disciplined at, you fill in the blank, to be truly loved. We should not have to do anything to be truly loved. We don't have to do anything to be loved because we're made in God's image by God himself. He made us to love us and for us to love him. Now, this doesn't mean that we aren't growing and improving to become more like Christ. That we should be doing. But this striving to be perfect, whatever, so that we are lovable, that's garbage. And ladies, Let's talk about body image for just a few. Those of you online, the groans in the room. This is a lifelong battle that, that, is, that this one tiny portion of a message is not going to fix. Our bodies are important. Not for the reason that history has taught us. Our bodies are important because when we ask Jesus to take hold of our lives, our bodies are inhabited by the Holy Spirit. We are his dwelling place. We have got to stop thinking of our body as something separate from who we are. It is a part of who we are. And we are valuable enough to value our physical body. Physical bodies are important. It's the vehicle that God chose to come to earth in. It's the vehicle that God chose to create for us to enable us to do his work on earth. I mean, value it. Give it rest and nutrition and activity to keep it going. God has a lot of work for you to do, and you need that body to get the job done. Quit thinking of your body as only a visual experience for others. Let me say that again. Quit thinking of your body as only a visual experience for others. Either by thinking, you know, she's prettier than I am, or she's hotter than I am, or she dresses better than I do, or am I beautiful enough for him? We have got to get a hold of those thoughts and that take us to the place of body shame. 
We have to get to a place where we love our body, not because of how it looks, but because why we have one. I know it isn't easy. I I just got home from Hawaii. (laughs) It was a daily practice to love my body for why I have one. I had to take those thoughts captive more than once a day. It doesn't matter your age or your size or or your shape. We all struggle. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't tackle these damaging lies and carve new, healthy neural pathways in our brain regarding our body image. Men, you have a part in this. I mean, we've all heard it, you know, when you, when you ask if your blind date was good-looking and your buddy says, well, she's got a great personality. We all know what that means. But seriously, all throughout history, women have been depicted as less valuable than men and as sex objects, as an object of pleasure for men, and if those men aren't satisfied with the object, they can trade it in for a different one a different girlfriend, a different wife, or they can keep that one but add another. Add another either in the form of a live person or a flat screen. Either way, the message you are sending us is you are not enough. You are not valuable enough for me to honor you. It might not mean anything to you, but it means a lot to her. Men, value the women in your lives. Honor the women in your lives. They are created in God's image. And ladies, although we generally have more body image issues than men, it goes both ways. Value and honor the men in your lives for what is on the inside, not what's on the outside. Now, remember John 10.10? Let's look at that second half. The thief's purpose is to... excuse me, is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. God's purpose is to give us a rich and satisfying life. Although the enemy wants to destroy us, God is stronger, and his purpose is to give us a rich and satisfying life. Not in the forms of things and position and happiness, but in the form of a spiritually, emotionally, physically healthy life. That's what happens when we focus on Jesus and his truth instead of the enemy and his lies. Which brings us to our two truths for today. Now, in total, we have covered 12 truths throughout the series. And if you need a refresher on those truths, you can always go back and watch the series again online. So truth number one, the victory is in the effort, not the result. Living emotionally healthy living, living emotionally healthy lives takes drive, determination, and grit. But we tend to think of the win as what happens in the end, not in the journey it takes to get there. The reality is that walking in truth doesn't happen overnight. It takes time and perseverance. It's a continual process pressing on toward the goal. Philippians 3.12 reminds us, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on 
to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Our walk in the truth is a daily battle. We need to be patient with our growth. I mean, we usually want things right now. But growth is a journey. It's a process. It's something we need to experience. And this experience should include community, building healthy, strong relationships for accountability and encouragement. This experience is helped by remembering that we are not in this alone. God is doing a good work in us. And that's a positive thing that deserves a positive attitude. I mean, we should be celebrating that. This experience requires a whatever-it-takes kind of grit. If it needs more effort, give it more effort. With Jesus, of course, not striving on your own. If you need to give it more attention, give it more attention. If you need it more education, study. Whatever healthy growth steps you need to take, take them. This experience requires courage. And it, it takes courage because we first have to admit that we aren't enough, that we can't do it apart from God. Only through him can we grow and change to leave behind the old, to take up the new. God's word says, be strong and courageous and I will be with you. Our second truth for today is, you are going to die. The ultimate limitation placed on life is death. Dr. Dennis Hensley, in his book, How to Manage Your Time, mentions how mankind sought for centuries to extend the time we have on earth, yet death always wins. He writes, We are all destined for a guaranteed termination. No one has ever beaten the system. In fact, the Bible even tells us about how long we have before our termination, three scores and ten, from Psalm 90, 10. And it's interesting to note that even though that calculation was recorded three millennia ago, it has not changed. After 30 centuries of medical, educational, social, and scientific advances, research conducted annually by insurance companies reveals that the average person lives to be from 70 to 75 years of age, three score and 10. Every moment of life is valuable. Once time is gone, it's gone forever. You can't buy it back, borrow it back, bribe it back, or even pray it back. A wasted moment is irretrievable. When I trained new instructors for the Courthouse Athletic Club, I always reminded them, these people are giving you an hour of their lives that they cannot get back. Make it worth it. We have a limited amount of time on this earth, and this makes that limited amount of time precious. How are we using it? What are our priorities? A study of terminally ill patients reports that once someone realizes that their time is shorter than they expected, significant changes in priorities and behavior become evident in the following ways. A rearrangement of life's priority, a, a trivializing of the trivial. 
a sense of liberation, being able to choose not to do things they did not wish to do. An enhanced sense of living in the immediate present rather than postponing good times until after retirement or some other point in the future. A vivid appreciation of the elemental facts of life, the changing seasons, a fresh breeze, autumn leaves turning colors, holiday joyness, and clouds. Didi, that's for you. Deeper communication with loved ones, fewer interpersonal fears, less concern about rejection, and greater willingness to take risks. Chris Thurman writes, wise people across the ages have stated that death is not the greatest loss in life. It's what dies within us while we live. Perhaps the greatest gain in life then, other than becoming a follower of Christ, is to keep our priorities in their proper place so we can live life in full. Jesus models this for us with his life. His life on earth was spent doing all the will of the Father, living with strong emotion, clarity of focus, high energy, and intense determination. Jesus is the ultimate example of living fully and passionately living in truth. And as we bring this series to a close, what lies might you be holding on to that are stealing your opportunity to live life to the fullest. We have a limited amount of time here on earth. And while so many of us are pouring out our lives and surrender to the Lord, we're still believing so many lies from the enemy. Jenny Allen, in her book, Nothing to Prove, writes this. We are often dragged along in the darkness, unable to save ourselves from our thoughts and from our shame and from our mistakes. We try to slap self-esteem tactics on our fears, but they don't stick because, well, it's true. We are not enough. It's true. We are not enough. But because of Christ, we can be. We are human beings with fallible thoughts and actions. We tend to believe the bad before the good. Uh, if it's too good to be true, right? The real truth is too good not to be true. God, the creator of the universe, created you to have relationship with him. The enemy we call the devil or Satan wants nothing more than to derail that relationship. Hence the lies. The devil is the father of lies. God is the father of truth, and he wants to have a loving, healthy relationship with you. He wants nothing more than to love you and to be loved by you, and that is possible. God says that if we believe in his son, Jesus Christ, who came to this world in the form of a baby who grew to a man to teach us the way to have relationship with our Creator, we can have eternal access to God the Father, but only through Jesus. There is no other way. We can't be good enough or nice enough or anything enough because the fact is we are not enough of anything to approach a holy God. But Jesus, 
but Jesus. Through a believing faith in Jesus Christ, we can have direct access to God for all of eternity. And it's through that growing relationship that we become like Jesus. It's only through his power and strength that we get our power and strength. So if I was your advocate, I would tell you to get to know Jesus well. If I was your advocate, I would tell you to keep pressing on toward the goal of becoming like Jesus. Let go of the rest. I would encourage you to run with perseverance the race marked out for you, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. So, sit up tall. Think of the crown of your head reaching to the ceiling. Roll your shoulders back. Pull your navel in towards your spine. Bless you. Inhale through your nose, nice and deep. Exhale slowly. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, what, what an incredible thing that you, you gave us a mind. You gave us a heart. You gave us a body. And you work all those things together through the power of your Holy Spirit to deepen our relationship with you, that, that you created us to love you because you love us. It's, it's just hard to believe. And we get so caught up in, in the derailment and the simplicity, actually, of Satan and his lies. God, help us to drill into the truth. Help us to carve out new pathways in our brain. Help us to fill them only with your truth. And it's in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ, who came in a body to deliver our souls, that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of people like you, people who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring. Your financial generosity is proof of God's work in your life. If you are just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. This is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Also, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you are on. It means a lot to me when you pass on the good news of Jesus to your friends and family. Until next week, may you experience God's favor and blessing in your life.